This morning as you're seated, if you have your Bible or your device, phone, iPad, whatever you use to read God's Word, take that out. And this morning we're going to go to a text of Scripture in Acts chapter 12. So turn to Acts chapter 12. And in just a moment, I just want to share a story with you out of Acts chapter 12. One of the things that's really have encouraged me over the past couple of weeks anyway is just how many of you are fasting as a church. We're fasting together for 21 days. And of course, a few weeks ago, I called us to that fast because I believe God was drawing us to himself. And the verse of scripture I'm praying over you and over our church this year is James 4, 8. And that verse says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. So it is initiated by us. We draw near to God and then God draws near to us. And I believe with all my heart, there's no better way to draw near to God than through fasting. Fasting is the best way to humble yourself and to enter into the presence of God. And of course, all fasting is, is denying your flesh so that we can feed our spirit. And when you fast and when you're hungry, you just let that physical hunger remind you of the hunger that we should have seeking and searching after God. So that is why we're fasting. But I understand, especially after two weeks of fasting, that it can be discouraging. And I know some of you are here, and as you fasted, you're like, well, this really isn't any different than my normal quiet time. And I hadn't heard God speak to me, and I hadn't got a revelation from God's Word. And all I want to say to you is just keep on keeping on. Because for me, the next few days are the most important part of the fast. Every time I fast, it's usually towards the end of my fast when God speaks to me. And the way we're fasting as a church is from the book of Daniel. We're using the Daniel fast. And that comes from Daniel chapter 1. That's the pattern that we're using, only eating fruits and vegetables. But the reason we're doing 21 days comes from Daniel chapter 10. And I want to read you what happened to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10. Because Daniel gets a word, a vision from God that he was desperately seeking. But I want you to see when he gets it. So listen to what verse 1 says of Daniel chapter 10. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, had another vision. Now that's a word from God, a vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. Verse 2. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three whole weeks. All that time, I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until the three weeks had passed. Now, when did the vision come to Daniel? After the three weeks had what? Passed. He fasted for 21 days, for three whole weeks, and then what did God do? God spoke to him. And so maybe this week, that's what's going to happen to you. Maybe it's going to be Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, and God is going to speak to you. Maybe it's going to be next Sunday morning as we come together and as we worship together as a church and as we corporately pray together as a church. Maybe it's then when God meets you and He speaks to you and you're going to say, it was all worth it because God met me. So that's why we're fasting. Just to meet with God. So if you're struggling through this fast, just keep on keeping on. Be faithful and devoted to God. And I promise you, God will honor and He will reward your faithfulness. Because that's what His Word says. Draw near to God and then God will draw near to you. So keep on. And God's going to move. I've already told you earlier that next week's going to be a little bit different. 
as we come into this place and as we worship and as we just pray. And the reason we're worshiping before we pray is because I told you we need to enter in the presence of God because we need the presence of God next week. Because we're going to ask Him to do some things that only He can do. Nobody in this room can do the things that we're going to ask God to do. We're going to ask God to heal and we're going to ask God to save and we're going to ask God to restore and to break bondage and to do things that only God can do. So we need His presence. So this morning, I want you to see what happens when a church prays. Because it's exactly what I'm praying will happen next week as we as a church gather together and as we worship and as we pray. So we can see what happens when a church prays. We're going to look here in Acts chapter 12. Let me just set up Acts chapter 12 so you know where we are in the history of Acts and the history of the church. Because really the book of Acts, all the book of Acts is, is just a history of the early church. It tells us how the early church started. And we're still a part of that church 2,000 years later. And of course the church started in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And there, there were 3,000 people when the word of God was preached. They were saved. And then after, the church continued to rapidly multiply, the Bible says. In fact, it rapidified so fast. This is how fast the church was growing. In Acts chapter 2, before the day of Pentecost, there were about 180 believers, followers of Jesus Christ. In six months after Acts chapter 2, there were 120,000 believers. Now that's church growth, amen? I wish we would grow that fast. I don't know what we'd do if we grow that fast, but what if we grew 120,000 people in six months? That is church growth. And that's how the church was rapidly multiplying. Now, Acts 12 is about 10 years after Acts chapter 2. And they were continued to row daily. They expanded day by day. But here's what was happening in the world where the church was in. Just the same as we are now. The church was being persecuted. Even though the church was growing day by day, they were still a minority. And the Jewish people did not like them. In fact, the whole world did not like them, and they were persecuting the church. And Jesus said, we are going to be persecuted as a church until he returns. So it's just common day life. But in Acts chapter 12, I really don't want you to see the persecution. I want you to see how the church responded to the persecution. I want you to see what they did. So if you have your Bible, look there. If not, just look on the screens. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. This is what the Bible says. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the Apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. Now, verse 5, this is an important verse. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The church prayed very earnestly for him. Now, I know that word there in the Greek or the New Testament there we translate into English, earnest, is not a word we use very much. But listen to how Webster's defines that word earnest. It says, a serious or important situation demanding serious attention. So the church understood how serious this situation was for Peter. So what did the church do? They were desperate for God to move. And so they came together and they earnestly prayed. Here's what I want to do is we just unpack Acts chapter 12. I just want to ask you two questions. And the first question is this, is why did the church pray? 
Why was their, their first thought? Why did they come and pray rather than going and protesting King Herod Agrippa? He was the politician in their day. Why didn't they just go protesting? Why didn't they go to social media and hope this injustice would go viral? Why didn't they just post all over Facebook? Why was their first thought to pray? Well, here's why. Because earlier in the book of Acts, the Bible tells us that the early church was devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And I want you to think about your life. And I want you to think about some things you're devoted to. Now most of us, we have a family. We're devoted to our family, right? We're devoted to our job. We spend a lot of time thinking about our job or working towards that job. We're devoted to it. Some of you are devoted to your church. But truly, honestly, how many of us are devoted to prayer? Well, the early church was. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 6, just a few chapters earlier from Acts chapter 12, the Bible there in Acts chapter 6 is talking about a time of rapid multiplication in the church. And guess what happens when the church grows? The Bible says there's a problem. A problem arose. Imagine that, a church growing and they're a problem. Can you believe somebody's griping in the church? Well, in Acts chapter 6, somebody was griping. There were actually two groups griping. There were two groups of widows. There were Greek-speaking widows and Hebrew-speaking widows. They were not of the same culture. This was a cultural clash. And one of the groups said, well, they're getting more food than we're getting. And so the problem with this, for the leaders of the church, the apostles, the pastors of the church, it was taking the time they should be spending doing God's work, taking care of these problems. So this is when God sends to the church the ministry of the deacon. And they selected seven deacons, full of wisdom and full of faith, full of the Spirit, to take care of this problem. That's when the deacons started serving the church. They were literally serving those two groups of widows. But here is why. In Acts 6-4, this is what the Bible says the leaders, the church, should truly be doing rather than taking care of gripes and complaints. Verse 4 says, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering or the whole church. Well, you know it's from God if it pleased everyone. But what were they devoted to? Prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, most of us in this room know exactly what the ministry of the Word is. Why? Because that's what we're doing right now. And week after week after week, we gather for the ministry of the Word. And all the ministry of the Word is, is the public reading and proclamation of God's Word, and then the teaching or explaining so that we can apply that to our lives. That is the ministry of the Word. And the reason we do that is because we believe, truly, this is God's Word. Amen? We believe it is perfect in every way and we can build our life upon it. And it is how God speaks to us. And it is what we need in our lives. And we believe the word of God will never return void because it says it. In fact, you can't be saved without it. Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. So we believe in the word of God. And that's why I spend 10, 20 hours of my week studying so that I can preach and proclaim the word of God. We believe in the word of God. What does the early church believe in? Just the word of God? No. They also believed in prayer. Now in the Greek here, in the Greek New Testament, how our New Testament was written, there's a word that doesn't get translated into our English language just because of the way we speak. And it doesn't really seem like it's that big a word. It's just a definite article. It's just a small word. It's the word the. But really, the way this verse is written is this. The apostle said, we will devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. Not just to prayer, but to the prayer and the ministry of the word. 
I think most people, when they read this text in Acts 6-4, they believe that this verse is really for pastors. A pastor should pray before he preaches the Word of God. Now, is that true? Of course, a pastor should preach before he, or pray before he preaches the Word of God. I should do that, of course. But that's not what this verse is talking about. Why? Because it's talking about the prayer and the ministry of the Word. What is the prayer? Well, if the ministry of the Word is us gathering together corporately to hear the proclamation of God's Word, what is the prayer? It is us gathering corporately together to do what? Pray, right? Yes, that's what it is. It is us gathering together corporately to pray. So here's my question. Why do we spend so much more time coming together corporately and teaching and ministering the Word of God and not praying? Many of our churches, especially even our Southern Baptist churches, they're theologically and they're doctrinally sound because they believe in the ministry of the Word, but they have no power. And you know why they don't have any power? It's because they don't do the ministry of the prayer. Last week I told you I flew to Phoenix. And when I flew to Phoenix, I went to Birmingham Airport and I got on a Delta plane. And when I got on that Delta plane, I sat down in my seat and I buckled my seatbelt and I looked out of one window and guess what I saw attached to that plane? A wing. I looked out of the other side and guess what I saw on the other side of that plane? A wing. Let me ask you a question. If I'd have got on that plane and I'd have buckled up and I'd have looked out of one window and saw a wing and I'd have looked out of the other window and not saw a wing, what do you think I would have done? What would you have done? Would you have just sat there and waited and said, well, I hope they fix that? Probably not. If they started backing up out of that gate, what do you think I would have done? I would have unbuckled and I would have ran out of that plane as fast as I could. Why? Because an airplane cannot fly with one wing, right? Well, if you don't know that, an airplane cannot fly without one wing. God made it aerodynamically that it takes two wings to get lift to come off the ground. And if you don't have two wings, guess what happens? You crash and you burn. That's what happens. So guess how God made the church? With two wings, right? And the wings of the church are the ministry of the word and guess what else? The prayer. And when those two things are working together, guess what happens? You lift off the ground and you fly. But when you have one without the other, guess what happens? You crash and you burn. And the early church understood this. And that's why the early church was devoted to the prayer and the ministry of the word. And I want you to see why they were devoted to it. This is why I believe they were devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. It's because they were followers of Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I understand in a sense that we're followers of Jesus Christ because we are. But I mean, literally, they were followers of Jesus Christ. The leadership of the early church followed him all around Israel. And what did they do? They watched him. They listened to him. They saw him perform miracles and do all these great things. But guess what else they saw him do over and over and over and over and over again? Pray. I told you, as we fast, I'm reading through the New Testament. And as I read through the Gospels, I looked for this specifically. How many times it talked about Jesus praying. And over and over and over again, it talked about the prayer life of Jesus. He would go out in the morning, he would pray. He would go up on the mountainside, he would pray. He would get alone, he would pray over and over again. And I saw this verse, and it just hit me. And I don't know that I'd ever seen it before, but this is what hit me. It's in Luke, it's at the end of Luke, just before Jesus is crucified. Actually, the night before he's crucified. But this is what Luke twenty two thirty nine 39 says. It says, Then accompanied by his disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw, and what did he do? He knelt and he prayed. The ESV says there, As was his custom. 
So what was the custom of Jesus? What did he always do? He prayed. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, I'd never seen this before. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. And then he starts his earthly ministry. Guess what he was doing as he was baptized? The Bible says he was praying. The very last thing Jesus did on this earth before he died, guess what it was? A prayer. His last words on the cross, Father, into thy hands I commit thy spirit. Jesus Christ came to this earth to do the will of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. John 6, 38, Acts 10, 38. And how did he know the will of the Father? How did he work through the power of the Holy Spirit? Because he prayed the prayer. And the early church saw that. And because of that, they were devoted to prayer. But there's one more reason I believe the early church was devoted to prayer, and here is it. The early church understood what happens when they don't pray. When we fail to pray, some things happen. The beginning of Acts chapter 12 there, it talks about James, another apostle, just like Peter. And just like Peter, James is one of the closest on this earth to Jesus Christ as they walked and followed Jesus. Peter, James, and John were the inner circle, the inner three that Jesus spent the most time with, that he poured into the most, that he loved the most. And what happened to James there at the beginning of James chapter 12? Well, he was beheaded. That's what happened. He was killed by the sword. His head was literally chopped off. But here's my question. When James was beheaded, what was the church doing? Nothing. They weren't doing a single thing. The Bible doesn't tell us at the beginning of Acts chapter 12 that they did a thing. Now, I don't know why they weren't doing a thing. Maybe they thought that God would just come through and that he would deliver James. I don't know what they thought, but they were not praying. They were not doing a single thing. So after James is beheaded, what did they start doing? When Peter was arrested, they started praying earnestly to God. That's what they started doing. I want you to hear me, and I want you to understand what I'm saying, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. So I want to try to say it clearly, so listen clearly. For whatever reason, God has established on this earth that He works through the prayers of His people. That's how God works. That's how His will is accomplished on this earth. And for whatever reason, sometimes God will limit his activity on this earth when we do not pray, but the converse of that is true. When we pray, God increases his activity on this earth. Now, does that mean that God's will will not be accomplished on this earth if we do not pray? No, it does not mean that. God's will will be accomplished. But God works through the prayers of his people. He does. And when we do not pray, God limits what he does. Now, does that mean we can manipulate God with our prayers? No, we cannot manipulate God with our prayers. But what happens when we pray according to the will of the Father? What happens? Jesus says we can ask for what? Anything, and it will be granted unto us. So if we pray the will of God the Father, we can ask for anything. Anything, and it will be granted. How do you think Jesus Christ lived and did so much on this earth? Yes, He was God, but He was also flesh. He limited his ability on this earth through this flesh. So he had to work through the will of the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why every time he prayed, he prayed according to the will of the Father. So it didn't matter what he asked for, it was granted unto him. That's how he could make the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf talk. 
That's why he could take a loaf of bread and multiply it and feed the thousands. Why? Because it was the will of the Father. And Jesus says to us, he says to us, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain, move from here to there, and guess what happens to that mountain? It moves. And here's what's amazing. Jesus says to us, his followers, guys, you can do the same things I've done. And not only that, you can do greater things than I have done. Why? Because I'm going to be with the Father. And you have everything that I have. You have the will of God. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now go change the world just like I changed the world. But what do we fail to do? We fail to follow Jesus and we fail to pray. And when we don't pray, we don't know the will of the Father. So when we pray, we're not praying in accordance to the will of the Father. We're usually praying our will. And when we pray our will, guess what we get? Not much. But when we pray the will of the Father, what do we get? Anything we ask for. And the church figured this out because when they failed to pray, look what happened. But I want you to see what happens when they prayed. What happens when a church prays? Well, look at verse 6. The Bible says there, right after they prayed, the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers, Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed, put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell, following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city and it opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It really is true, he said. The Lord has sent an angel and he saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. That's what happens when a church prays. Three things that I'm praying will happen in this place next Sunday morning as we come together and corporately pray. The first thing that happens is God sends his peace. Now, I love verse 7 there of Acts chapter 12. Look at it again. This is what it says. It says, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. But the angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. Now, remember what's about to happen to Peter here. The next day, he is going to stand trial. And he's going to stand trial just like James did a couple days earlier. And what happened to James? He was beheaded. So Peter is about to be beheaded. But that night in a jail cell, what's he doing? Is he wringing his hands? Is he anxious? Is he worrying? No, he's asleep, right? He's asleep. And in fact, he is asleep so much that the word there in the Greek says that the angel had to punch him. Literally punch him in the gut to wake him up. Now, what would you be doing the night before you're to be tried and beheaded? Would you be sleeping like that? Well, if a church prays for you and you have the peace of God in your life, you would. Most of you understand what it's like to live in the peace of God and without the peace of God. There's no comparison, right? Peter had the peace of God. Why? Because the church prayed. And not only did God send peace, he sent his presence. Let me tell you just something about the presence of God. I think people get this confused. There's three distinctions in the presence of God or three categories. And the Bible talks about them all. One, God is just 
omnipresence. That means God is everywhere. That's just who he is. He's omnipresence. That's why Jesus says, where two or three of you are gathered together, there am I also. He says, I am. Why is he am? Because he's everywhere. He's just omnipresent. He is who he is. He's omnipresent. So he's an omnipresent God, but he's also an indwelling presence God. And so when you and I are saved, the Bible says we are filled with the Spirit of God. We receive the Spirit of God, and He indwells in us. He lives in us. And that's why we fast, so our spirit can connect with His Spirit, and we can hear His voice and know His will. So He's indwelling. But there's also the manifest presence of God. And what does that word manifest mean? It just means obvious. So when you are in the manifest presence of God, guess what? You ain't got to wonder about it. You know you're in the presence of God. And every time you're in the presence of God, guess what happens? Miracles happen. He sends power. What did he do in that jail cell? When the angel showed up, he had obviously been in his presence because the angel was light. And God is light according to the word of God. And whenever someone comes into the presence of God, they radiate his glory or his light. Moses did it coming off Mount Sinai. This angel did it in the jail cell. So God's presence was in that jail cell. And what did he do? A miracle. Peter stood up and the chains fell off. And he walked out of a maximum security prison and nobody woke up. He just walked right out. And then he was on the street by himself and he couldn't believe it. He said, what just happened? God just happened. And why did God happen? Because a church prayed. Because of the earnest prayers of a church, God moved. And what happens today, 2,000 years later, when a church prays, God moves. That's what happens. And so as a church, we need the prayer and the ministry of the word. I just want you to see one last thing in scripture and I'll be done. Earlier, I talked about Jesus. And I talked about him praying. For me, anyway, as I read the Gospels, probably the most amazing story to me in all the Gospels is in John chapter 11 when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. If you read that whole story, this is the weekend before the cross. And Jesus is staying just outside of Jerusalem in a town called Bethany. And in Bethany, that's where Lazarus lived, along with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus went there often. He went to eat with them sometimes. The Bible talks about that. But on this particular occasion in John chapter 11, Lazarus, their brother, dies. And Mary and Martha are mourning. And the Bible talks about people come and they come to help them through their grief. That's why they're there. And Mary and Martha are really stewing a little bit because they called for Jesus earlier and Jesus didn't come. And they knew if Jesus came, Jesus could heal Lazarus and he wouldn't have died. But for whatever reason, Jesus literally says, I'm going to stay back. I'm not going to go. But eventually, after four days, Lazarus has been dead and in the tomb for four days. He goes to Bethany. And Mary meets him and says, why didn't you come, Jesus? If you'd have came, my brother wouldn't have died. And that's where the Bible says Jesus wept because Mary was weeping. And he felt their grief and he wept with them. But then he goes to the tomb. I want you to see what happens. Just listen. John 11, starting in verse 36. The Bible says... The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed the blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Jesus said, roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, 
He has been dead four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you just believed? Verse 41. So they rolled the stone aside. Now look what Jesus does. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, what is Jesus doing? He's praying, right? Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they would believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were bound in grave clothes. His face was wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. So what did Jesus do to raise Lazarus from the dead? He prayed. That's what he did. He prayed. Why in the world, as a church, are we not praying? And asking for God to do the impossible. Why are we afraid? When Jesus Christ himself says, if you pray according to the will of the Father, You can ask for anything and it will be granted. Why are we not praying like that? I'm telling you, if we do, the world around us will never be the same. Because we will see the exact same thing in our day that Jesus saw in His day according to His Word. If you don't believe me, go read John 14. He said it, not me. How has the world changed? Through prayer. That's how the world's changed. Through prayer. So as a church, let's come together and let's pray. So bow with me, Lord. We love you. And we need you. And we pray that you would come into this place. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. And we're so thankful for the time we get to spend in it. But Lord, help us to be a people and a church of prayer. Lord, work through the prayers of your people here in this place. Come alive in this place because of the prayers of your people. Draw people to this place because of the prayers of your people. Save people in this place because of the prayers of your people. Heal them, Lord. Restore them. Draw them to yourself just because we are a church who prays. So Lord, I pray for anyone in this room this morning who needs prayer. Lord, I know this morning there are people here suffering hardships. I know there are people here who are sick and they need healing. Lord, I know there are people here who are lost and they need saved. So, Lord, answer our prayers. Send your presence. Send your peace.
Lord, and send power. And Lord, move in this place. We just give it to you. We give it to you. And we pray it all in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, this morning as we close, I'm just going to ask that we close in prayer. And in just a moment, we're going to stand and the praise band, they'll be singing. But honestly, I'm not going to ask you to sing. I'm going to ask you to pray. Respond to God's word with what he says and pray. If you want to come to this altar and pray, come to this altar and pray. Get on your face before God and seek him. Humble yourself. And as a church, come together and pray. If you are one here that needs to be prayed for, if you will come to this altar and you need someone to pray for you, come, we'll pray for you. If you need healing, come. We'll pray that God heals you. If you need salvation, come. We'll tell you about Jesus Christ. But this morning, respond to God's Word. And respond to what it says. So stand to your feet. Bow your head. Pray to the living God.